officially we have failed to find again Mr. Monzi Malala and I must say that was the last attempt. We are going to open those lines for you to advertise your business. Get ready, it will happen uh, soon. It's on 089-110-3377. Slightly off schedule, but because man is very difficult to find, we thought we have to fit him in today in the Meet the Boss uh, feature because if we miss him, we probably will get him around the same time next year, Tato. Am I right? Yeah, I don't want to miss him again. So we thought, let's lock him in. We already have Jerry Mabena, so why not have him? In studio, he's uh, an entrepreneurial business uh, executive with vast experience in the marketing and property management sectors. He's currently uh, CEO, a group CEO of Tebe Tourism. As as the CEO of Tebe Services, Mabena is responsible for managing a portfolio that contains 16 subsidiary and associate Tebe companies that are service-centered, offering services ranging from financial to tourism services, as well as media, energy, petroleum services that is on energy and property management. He has started and ran a number of businesses himself, some of which are still operational. has a degree in industrial psychology and economics from Rhodes University, holds a diploma in project management from Demlin, and a certificate program in accounting and finance from Vets Business School. I'm going to stop because if I go on, I will take the shine from the man. Jerry, thank you very much for coming in and wonderful to see you. It's good evening and thank you so much. So please stay with that microphone. It's a bit finicky. Uh, it's a bit jealous. So it, it may just take away the shine from you. <laughs> but let's start at the bottom. Maybe it's called the top. Where does the journey begin? Where, where does the man come from? Where was the man born and where he grew up? Um, I'm an Alex boy through and through. Uh-huh. Um, Born and bred there, my soul still rests there. Go there every so often to resuscitate. Yeah. Um, did part of my schooling in Alex, and had the privilege of winning a scholarship when I was a little one to go to one of the private schools, and that's probably how I got one of my breaks into where I am. Yeah, uh, uh, it, it's okay to mention the private school. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm very proud of that school. It's uh, it's Sacred Heart College, okay, uh, in Observatory. Yes, and then I did a post metric at St. Stevens. Interesting. Mm. And uh, when you look at where you are and you look back at your upbringing, was there any link between where you ended up? It was there some sign that one day is going to end up like this? No, far from it. In fact, if I had it my way back then. I'll probably be running a rural medical clinic in some poor community in Northern Cape or somewhere yeah. like that. Um, never in my wildest dreams did I think that I'd probably be running the kind of business that I'm doing. But the funny part is that the link still remains in terms of community work. Mm-hmm. The work that we do is embedded in the community. So that's the only link, I think. <laughs> Great. Now... You, you you finish your your your, your metric and post metric uh, studies and you end up at Rhodes University. I always wonder about people who grow up in a place like Johannesburg. In the time that you grow up, mm. and one day pick up bags, go somewhere in a place called Khini, Grahamstown. How do you end up there? Because you know, I look at what you studied. You probably could have studied it at Vets. You could have done it somewhere else. How do you end up that part of the world? It's an interesting question because. Um you will laugh when I say that uh, the reason that I went to Rhodes was actually quite peculiar in that um, 
I needed a place where I'd focus. I think as we were growing up in in during that time, you'll remember that it was during the height of the the the, the resistance. Yeah, I can. I mean, the, and around that same time, it was clear to me that if I needed to focus on my schooling, I needed to leave the urban centres and yeah. just go to a place that's quieter so I can focus. And I did just that. I went to Rhodes. Three years later, I was out of there with a degree. Yeah. And I went on to start working. So it was really that as simple wow, a decision. I could not have that. thought about that. Yeah, yeah, as simple a decision as that. It was one of those focus, get your degree, and get on with it. Yeah. Family background. Was there somebody entrepreneurial in the family that you looked up to? I mean, what, who was mom and dad, and what did they do that influenced what ended up becoming Jerry Mabena? I think both my parents were. In mm. fact, uh, my dad was a taxi driver. That's the greatest entrepreneur. St- started off um, driving trucks on, you know, for some of the big construction companies, and then went and drove a friend's taxi. And in no time, he had three or four taxis of his own, and we would drive the taxis every now and then. Yeah. So I still threaten people that I'm an ex-taxi driver. <laughs> so um, that's where it comes from. My mother, to this day, still makes uh, biscuits and cakes and sells them in Alex. Even now. Even now. Wow. So it was, it was there, it was in the family. Uh, I would like to think so, yeah. 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 And then uh, at some point you do what most stupid people do. You decide to start your own business. You know, I mean, I don't know why people do this when <laughs> it's the riskiest thing to do on earth when you can wait for the 25th for somebody to pay you a salary. If you really ask me, I think everybody should get a chance at it. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that I, I wish it for everyone that at some point we should all start a business. Mm-hmm. And for some, it will succeed. For some, it won't. But if there's one thing that um, it does to you, it just makes you really focus on every single rent, every single cent. And it makes you begin to understand your own strengths and your own weaknesses. Yes. So it, it's a great thing to do. Um, it is crazy. You're quite right. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when you wonder where you're going to get your next paycheck. And there was a time when I didn't even tell my wife that we didn't have money to pay the bond at the end of the, no- at the, end of the month. But somehow you carry on and yeah. it comes through. You, you just keep on believing it has to happen. You've got to. It has to You've work. Got to, yeah. Let's talk about Tebe. And by the way, if you just joined us, our guest is Jeremy Ben on Meet the Boss. He's a group CEO of Tebe Tourism. Uh, he's, 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 uh, he's an amazing businessman. But let's talk about Tebe. Who is Tebe, by the way? You know, for those you know, young people who, who don't know much as, much as some Tebe. of us do know mm-hmm. about Tebe. I think... There's two sides of Tebe that I want to just maybe share with you. Firstly, I think Tebe is one of the places that for me assists me in nurturing that entrepreneurial side of the business without having to worry about the the boundary payments at the end of the month. Mm. So I have the privilege of being an entrepreneur in a corporate or semi-corporate environment. So it's a great place to be. That's the first part. But in terms of who Tebe is, I mean, Tebe is an amazing organization. No, let me interrupt yeah. you. I don't want people to get this wrong. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you say, you know, it, it makes it easier because you, you've got this big thing behind you. What they, what they should understand is that the flip side is that you then have to answer to a board. There's a group of people that work with you that are, are, you're answerable to, are answerable to you. It's not as easy as just, you know. Absolutely. So I don't Absolutely. want that to make it too light. No, no, it, no, no. It's it actually... If my if my chairman is listening to me, he'll probably phone me in the morning. That uh, why did you say that? <laughs> yeah, but he's not that kind of guy. Um, <clears throat> Tebe was started in 1992, and if you'd recall what was happening in this country in 1992, it would have taken great visionaries to mm. have actually anticipated that we would have a democratically elected government for a start. Yeah, 
And secondly, we would need to have black economic empowerment as we have it today. Yeah. And this was actually before all of those conversations. But there was a sense that there needed to be black-owned businesses, black-run businesses, and businesses that would have their essence or souls rooted in communities. Mm -hmm. And I think Tebe was one of those. And we were privileged to be started by our founding fathers, the likes of Nelson Mandela, Walter Sisulu, Bias Nodier, and through an amazing trust called the Batubatu Trust, who still remains a majority shareholder inside the organization. So we have that privilege of being truly a broad-based organization. Yeah. And, and, and then you, you are so diversified now, you, you do many other things. And in particular today, we speak to you because we are interested in, in tourism and Indeed, interested yes. in the work that you do there. In, in general terms, is it still a good business, uh, tourism? Now, you're gonna, I'm going to show my bias here. I think... In South Africa, if there is one business that will probably create the most jobs in the next five to ten years, if we do it right, it's probably the tourism sector. And another sector probably is the agricultural sector. Yeah, I think those two sectors can help us come out of the the current doldrums that we're sitting in. But they require that we really focus on those um, sectors and actually take them seriously. Because, mm. um, yeah, tourism is one of those ones that actually creates most jobs very quickly. And the beauty of it is that the essence of tourism is that it doesn't sit in an urban environment. It can actually decentralize and create economies in rural areas. Yeah. So you very quickly are able to spread the wealth into the most far-fetched areas of our country. In the state that we're in, uh, two junk statuses and one looming, I still suspect... I, you know, we go around, one ends up at some airport or another, one goes somewhere or another, and we tend to see that at least from a naked eye and not, not science, that foreign tourists are still trickling in. One, is, is what I'm seeing true or are the numbers dropping? But how is domestic tourism doing? Because I, it doesn't matter how many people we can invite. If we don't get South Africans to spend on tourism, I Absolutely. think there's a problem. Absolutely. I think let me start with the, what you're seeing. What you're seeing is absolutely true. We are seeing an increase in the number of um, international visitors coming into the country. I think the latest stats that come out of South African tourism, I think are indicating an increase, I think, of about up to 10 million people who came in in the last year. 10 million. Um, 10 million people. I think it was the first time we hit that number. Um, But yes, you're quite right. I think in terms of the domestic travelers, I think we're seeing a little bit of a decline there. Um, I think it's around 24.3 million people that have traveled in yeah. the last year, which is a slight drop, I think less than 1% um, in comparison to 2015. So to your point, um, the challenge that confronts us is to get domestic travelers to travel. And I think that's where, as Tebe, we have taken that particular challenge at heart and we, we're driving it aggressively to see what it is that we can do in a small way. I mm. mean, we don't have big budgets. We don't have the tons of money that are required. But we believe that we can excite our people to travel and see their country. On that note, actually, because I took it for granted, and I, it's a huge mistake. What does Teva Tourism do, though? I mean, in, 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 the, in, the, in the tourism sector, what do you do? Because you, you know tourism essay, so what do you do? We do a number of things. Um, we have a travel agency business mm-hmm. um, that does sort of domestic travel as well as outbound. We have a inbound tour operator that sources um, travelers mm-hmm. from other parts of the world into South Africa. And then we we have a car rental business 
Um, which obviously transports people in and around the country. And it, it is a table owned. It's not a you're not in partnership with the with the ones that we all know. And we no, it's we in partnership with a company called Combined Motor Holdings, okay, um, which is listed on the JSC. So that's the the car rental business. And then we we basically have um, what we call iconic attractions, which is a, a business that is very unique in its nature. Um, what we do there is that we identify iconic destinations and our role would be then to invest in the upliftment of those and actually lift those businesses to world-class status. We're currently in partnership with South African National Parks um, on the Table Mountain National Park, a place called Cape Point. Um, And we actually are beginning to roll that model out into other areas. We're looking at uh, projects in Naisna, we're looking at projects in Pumalanga. So we, we believe that in doing that, we can actually create a little bit of impetus in s- those small economies and yeah. actually get people to be interested in going to visit those places. By the way, for the record, uh, dear listener, uh, K-Point is not where the two oceans meet. It's a wildly held uh, allegation that is not so true. Can uh, you not mess up a good story <laughs> with the truth now? <laughs> It's a beautiful part of the country, though. You want to go there. And I actually dare say, you want to go there when it's windy, because that's when you realize Cape Point in its purest form. You know, it can in get except- form, Oh, it's yeah. very wild there, but I love that part of the world. I need to take you back to something we said earlier. Yes. So 10 million uh, international foreigners coming in, just over 23 million yep. uh, domestic people traveling. It could be better. Absolutely. It should be better. Absolutely. What's missing? Two things that are missing. The first one is, and dare I say, um, we refer to them as Afropolitans, but they are black travelers to a large extent. Mm. We don't travel our country. And as part of that, the, the scariest thing is the, the market has kind of discounted that sector. And they've said they don't have money, they can't afford, and they can't do it. So if you think about during the apartheid days, we were not allowed to go into certain spaces, we were not allowed to go into certain hotels. But when all of these things opened up, no one actually said, Rems, you are now welcome to come into these spaces. And we have failed in that regard. So now picture a situation of somebody who has not been allowed to do something, now having to, in and of themselves, of their own volition, to take a view to do something without an invitation. As African people, we want to be invited into yeah. homes, you know. But why? You know? Why, why, why wouldn't they invite? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. If I, I run an establishment, I run any business, I'd, I'd like feet. You'd like feet. We would hope so. We would really hope so. But then, as recent as last year, we had that case in St. Lucia of a gentleman who yeah. had refused um, a guest to come in on mm. the basis of their racial inclination. Because the so, head didn't have a crown. Eh? So I, mean, I remember that the head did not have a crown. I'm not too sure what the issue was, but yeah. <laughs> um, the the real sense of it for me is that we need to target that particular market. We need to create products that are welcoming to them mm-hmm. and and services that actually begin to recognize that we consume products very differently. We're very communal people, generally. Yeah. So when the majority of people, when they travel, people can travel alone. You know, you know the backpackers culture, somebody gets it take the backpack, goes to Europe, goes on a Contiki tour. Uh, 
But we don't do that. We don't do and, that. I, and I don't yeah. think it's a cultural thing. It's that also, we were not allowed to travel, so we never got there, used to it that early. Part, yeah. Yeah. But having said that, when we do travel, if you ever think about it, and I've watched these patterns on a number of occasions, it's groups, mm. building societies or stock fells yeah. or a group of friends will go to, to Cape Town as a group. Yeah. You'll get a group, uh, group of guys who were at school together. Come on, guys, let's go away for a weekend of playing golf. Yes. So there's all these group things. And you almost get a sense of there's a safety in numbers thing, you know, that, that, that comes along there. And, and the beauty of that, though, if you were to harness the marketing opportunity, in, is that it actually allows people to try new things in a safe environment if you were to package properly. And we've done that um, and, and tried a lot of these kind of things and allowed people to be in safe spaces to try out new ideas, new things in safe environments. And the results have been phenomenal. The devil so, advocate inside me, though, yeah. who's also a cynic, yes. says, on the other side, the, the product owners, because of our past, are also scared of us in numbers. Yes and no. And, and that's where the, the, the reality comes in. Is that it's yes and no from a point of view of saying that if Rams comes to a product owner and says that I've got a group of 15 people who want to come to your hotel, mm-hmm. and I've tried that on a number of occasions, and I, I must give South Africans um, credit on that one, is that at most, a lot of them would actually, they welcome the opportunity. They also are beginning, if you start talking to them about, um, I remember taking a group to the Drakensberg, yeah. and we were training for, for Kilimanjaro, and we, we went to... You also do that? Every now and then, yeah. <laughs> I do lose my head. <laughs> we, we went to the Drakensberg for, for a weekend and we, we actually booked um, into one of the, the resorts there. Yeah. And one of the things that I said to them, I said, you know what, guys, when we come back from a hike, can we not have dinner in the restaurant? We, we just want to sit outside. Can you organize a bribe for us? Yeah. And the guy was saying, yeah, sure. I mean, it'll cost you... X amount of rents extra. I said to the guys, the guys are keen to pay a little bit of extra. I said, absolutely. And it was a wonderful experience. Mm. We ended up spending the entire evening with the chef at that hotel who was sitting there with us, chatting to us. Wonderful evening after all. So, But that for me is a sign that I think even the industry is ready and it, it could welcome those um, sort of opportunities. We just have not dared to cross those lines. I think there's got to be some sort of a meeting point between the two ends. And they do understand that when we have that drive, we'd like to listen to a bit of quiet or... And, uh, Indeed. You know, I think there, 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 there was that, you know, we, we were having that debate, in fact, last week about mm. a product that we're launching in the Kruger National Park. Mm. And we were saying to, to some of the guys, please recognize that when this market comes to the Kruger, they want to drive in, see the lions, see the elephants, listen to the birds. But when they go and sit on the bank of the river, sorry, they will hear the hippos, but please allow them a chance to listen to, to their little bit mm. of quiet or jazz, soul, R&B, whatever yeah. it is. Because that's how they consume their products. A Saturday afternoon is not a Saturday afternoon if it doesn't have a little bit of music attached to it. So it's those little things that we just need to bring into those spaces. And the unfortunate thing, though, is when we did do that and when you observe the Europeans, because they come out of a, a noisy environment, they're yeah. coming into the bush and they kind of say, oh, my gosh, look at these people. Yeah. And I'm saying, mm, give us a chance, please, you know. Jeremy Bena, uh, he's our guest on Meet the Boss. He's a group uh, uh, CEO of uh, Tebe Tourism. If you want to talk to him, uh, and it's about anything, about you know the taxi fare he never paid you back <laughs> <laughs> because we are Pumala. <laughs> uh, we are on zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. If you want to come in as anonymous and remind him of how bad a boss is, 
please call 089 But any other reason you want to call and talk to Jerry, we truly would like to hear from you. You can also tweet us at Rams by the Horns on Facebook. It's Metro FM Talk with Rams. There is always already a picture of his on that page. So you can make a comment on that post and we will read out your comment. But we truly appreciate your interaction with us. How big in uh, revenue or uh, at least GDP uh, contribution is tourism in South Africa? Well, the, the numbers are sort of fluctuating at the moment but yeah. we the contribution of the domestic tourism I think is about 26.5 billion rands I think that's roughly the numbers that you're talking about mm-hmm. strange enough is that with um, 10 million visitors on the international side the inbound we make um, about 75.5 billion rands so it just goes to show that even the little bit that we're doing from a travel point of view domestically yeah. we're traveling in big numbers but the contribution is actually very little. I mean, when you look at the number of nights that we spend in hotels, I think we spend in between four and five nights, whereas the other guys are sitting on close to nine. So the contribution to the to the GDP mm-hmm. becomes largely influenced by the inbound at this point in time. Yeah. And I think yeah. we're sitting at anything between eight and nine percent at this point. And and the kind of numbers we employ in this sector? Um, gosh, I'm going to have to... S- but is it significant? Um, uh, you know, is it something that we really should be proud of? Yes, it is. I think. Um, in fact, I've got something here. It says 1.5 million jobs in 2016. That's around 10 percent of total employment in the country. Yes, I think that's that, huge. That's, that's, that sounds about right. That sounds. So about if right. we don't get this right, it's not only the fact that we lose an opportunity to employ more people, but we could even be threatening these number of people out there. Indeed. Employed. But I think, I think the beauty of it, um, Rams, is that those numbers can only get better. I think we, we need to just recognize the space that we're sitting in. I think um, if you look globally, I mean, at the geopolitics um, of the world, yeah, I think this part of the world probably remains one of the few peaceful places that you can go to. So we're sitting in a great position. It is a long-distance, uh, yeah. long-haul um, destination. But I think if we start also thinking around travel from a SADC point of view, not just South Africa, yeah. but beginning to recognize that we are part of a wider, broader African network of countries, it will change the way people travel. So they, they won't see themselves coming to, you know, some people go to Africa in inverted commas. Yeah. And, and Africa is one place. For them, it could be Kenya, it could be South Africa. But I think we have so much more to offer if we th- they see ourselves a, in a Pan-Africanist manner. So, and we've got beautiful weather in this part of the world. Oh, we, the best they, they could never the buy this for anything. Yeah. 089-110-3377, our first caller from Eden Park. Doctor, good evening. Evening, how are you? Very well, thank you for asking. How are you? I'm okay. Could I come speak to Brajeri? Uh, good evening, Doctor. How are you? I'm calling yourself. Uh, there's a there's a business opportunity that I've actually spotted, but I would like to talk to you not on on the radio about it. Oh, so you use me to reach this I man, didn't. and you don't want me to hear about this business opportunity, doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what you're doing. <laughs> no, this is only ten percent. I, I appreciate and I know where we space you are. We're going to share co- contact details later after this conversation, Doctor. Thank you very much for the call. And and whether whether you make it in this one or not, I just hope that you make money somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. And, 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 and secondly, I, I, I just want to be 
Okay, but I'll speak to him. I, I, I want him to, to also mentor me. I'm not too sure whether... <laughs> I'm going to start charging for this mentoring thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, doctor, thank you very much for the call. I'm going to ask you a series of short questions yes, uh, yes, as, as, yes. as we lead up to the end. So, yes. what's what's what is the costliest mistake you have done in your business? Sure. And it's not necessarily Tebe, any other business that you ran before or you are running currently yeah sure you know i will tell you when i ran my own business that um, i got defrauded and at that point i mean i was all of 29 years old Hmm. and i won't tell you who i owed i owed them 22 million rands and i was driving home and i realized that if i won the lotto that weekend which was paying about 7 million rands jackpot if i won it three times over I would still not be able to <laughs> pay my debts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and can and, I guess you did not win it once? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> you I, you I did not even not, win it once. I did not once. win it at all. <laughs> I mean, and, and that was for me one of the costliest mistakes that I've ever made. And it was an odd mistake because, you know, you're 29 and you come up with this idea that it's a small little idea. And meanwhile, somebody sits there and says, oh, my God, does this boy know what he's got in his hands? And I'm looking at this thing from this little piece, and these guys are seeing all of these things, and they are railing around me and almost confusing me with all sorts of little things, and let's do a deal here, deal there, deal here, deal here. And you you kind of get, what's the word? Um, Overwhelmed? Intoxicated, I yeah. think is the word that I'm uh, looking yeah, for. Yeah. yeah, Intoxicated by all the attention, all these things that are happening in and around you. And the next moment you realize you are in the dwang and you are alone at that time. So all of them have shifted and they are watching. He says, okay, swim, boy, let's watch you. And that was a terrible and, thing. And, you, and it came you, about... You owned the whole liability at that point. I did. I did. I had to face up to it. But it was a, a growing, growing process. And I think this is where it helps to be married. Because <laughs> I, I had a great wife who just sat there and was absolutely supportive. But how did that impact you? <clears throat> As a person? Yeah. I think it taught me to read contracts. Mm. It taught me to read contracts. It taught me that when you write contracts, you must actually write contracts that actually can be applied in law. You know, a lot of people that you see out there will carry, now I've got an MOU, I've got a, this contract, I've got that agreement. But sometimes those agreements actually nothing. They mean nothing. They cannot actually stand up to... Mm to any scrutiny in a court of law. And I think that, for me, was a big lesson. And how did you get yourself out of that mess? Did, I mean, we know you did not win the lot. No, I did not win yeah, the lot. So. I actually went to my creditor, the biggest creditor, and I tried to come to some sort of a settlement with them. But they're one of these ginormous companies, and at the time, I think they were not willing to, to do a deal with this little boy. And the guy actually said to me, I owed the company in my personal capacity that amount of money. And I had to say to them, no, sorry, it's my business that owes you that money, not me personally. And that's the thing that saved me. So you separated? I separated my, the, the the, two. my personality. And my we don't being. do that often. Often we, we get lost in all of that stuff. We, we kind of uh, conflate these things. Uh, very interesting question here on, on Twitter. Taung uh, Child says... Uh, do we not have local rates and foreign rates in tourism places like China and India? And if so, why don't we have that here in South Africa? It's a conversation that's happening. Um, and I think we do recognize that there's a need for a lot of that. Yeah, There are places where they're in place. So, I mean, if you go to somewhere like Sandparks, 
Yeah. They will ask you for your ID to yeah. prove that you're a South African. So there are it's, um, areas where you actually have separation of rates, but it's something that we don't practice as as, as um, aggressive. I wonder why, because I, I you know I remember in 1998 I went to Zimbabwe, mm. and I was shocked. You know, going to this Pan African country and stuff yes. like that, and yes. they wanted my passport. And at that point, as they were having the passport, I looked up the wall and I realized this. There's, there's different rates. There's different rates. And I thought, I'm going to mm. pay more. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I thought, I'm coming from you know country of the, the brotherhood and stuff like that. And no, none of that. And it does not necessarily scare none tourists. I think it's, it's an accepted norm. In some parts of the world, mm. it's an accepted norm that there would be a separation of rates. Yeah. But in some parts of the world, actually, you have flat rates and there's no separation at all. If you cast your eyes forward for the next let's say uh, five years, maybe even less. What is this one thing that you hope to achieve in your current business? I will express it in this manner. If as a business we can get the young boy who's growing up in a rural area to recognize that there's as much opportunity for himself or in fact the young girl and herself as there is for the young boy and girl in Johannesburg, I would think that we'd have achieved a lot. And by that I mean a lot of young people growing up in rural areas, the first thing that they want to do is get out of those communities and come to Joburg. Yeah, I think that whole influx thing, for me, is not creating solutions. I mean, it's causing problems for Mayor Mashaba and all those sort of people because of this whole influx, when actually we should be creating economies that are sitting in those spaces outside mm-hmm. of the urban centers. So if we can get that sorted out and actually run sustainable businesses in those communities and TABE is part of that entire infrastructure, I think we would have done a lot. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much lucky do you regard yourself? And I'm going to qualify that question Mm. by asking you another question. How did you get this job that you have? Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, I think... Luck has to do with somebody giving you a chance. Yeah. I think at most is there's that guy that will just say, I want to give this young man a chance. And I think I had that. I I mean, it was absolutely amazing. I remember um, I had just lost the money in the other business. And I had just gotten into a relationship with uh, some other partners in another business. And Mm -hmm. I was actually beginning to get involved in that business on a more kind of aggressive manner or on a day-to-day basis. And around that same time, I got a call from a recruitment agent who told me that there was this job available at one other company which I applied to, and I didn't get the job. So I got really, really irritated because by the time I didn't get the job, I had learned so much about that business, and I actually had started falling in love with it. I said, I like this company. I want to work with these guys. So I went to the recruitment agent. I said, please give me half an hour with those guys again because I want to go and tell them what they should be doing with their business, which is now outside of the job interview. Yeah. So now, okay, guys, you've interviewed me. I've failed, but let me tell you what you should be doing. So I went and I gave them a whole proposal about what they should be doing with their business. And two days later, I was actually working there. Wow. So wow. I think that, and that was I, my break. I hope a lot of people listening to this that learn a break. lesson from this. That was my break. It's not over until you declare it over. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, uh, one last caller uh, from Mabopani Lasi. Good evening, and thank you for calling. We're listening to you. Good evening, good evening, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, good evening, Dr. I'm listening. I'm listening to all. Sorry. Yeah, no, we're listening to you. 
Yes, I'm, I said I'm listening to all the conversation. I just want to find out from Patty Jerry that, Patty Jerry, how do you uh, was it put your security in place in terms of your vehicles and uh, the rest of the things that you're doing? Because tourism is it is open, but the, the thing that the risk of driving around are you what? How do you you hire people who are experts in in, in the area of, uh, of of driving? Do you take them to courses or what do you do? And and how do you secure your 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 vehicles? Before you answer, Jerry, uh, Lassie, are you, are you in security business? I'm in a security business. I'm a former, I'm a former bodyguard. I do this every day, Lassie, so I can smell the questions from a distance. <laughs> but thank you very much for the question. Listen on the radio. <clears throat> uh, to tell us, I think um, a number of things. I mean, if I can just comment that we, we don't have a fleet of cars mm-hmm. from a tourism point of view. Okay. But the car rental business um, has got a fleet of cars. And we, we do employ people. It's just your normal recruitment process yeah. with your normal security checks with your normal cross-referencing i mean you've got to do a due diligence on somebody it's um you know i wish one could say that it's a bit like dating you you don't marry someone until you've kind of sat down with them and ask them questions ideally and make sure that yeah ideally it. ideally <laughs> <laughs> what one ceo or boss or whoever is a corporate leader do you look up to one that you when, you know, when you're sitting there and thinking, what would so-and-so do? Or I'd love to do what so-and-so does. There, there's so many. Um, but recently I read Shoe Dog. Um, Phil Knight's book. Yeah. The guy who started Nike. Yeah. And, I mean, I just thought this guy was crazy. And I love that. I just thought, there's a crazy man who's yes. done a great job. Um, and when you look at some of the stuff th- that he's gone through, you know, there's times when you read that book and you say, oh, it's going down now. Yes. But then you close your eyes and say, but then I'm wearing Nike shoes. So <laughs> this business is still around. So <laughs> so a guy like that, I just say, he's, just, he's a never say die guy. And I just absolutely adore that. And that is why that pay of line has lived forever. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Well, Jerry, that's all the time we have uh, tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It was too yeah. brief. It was too brief. I think we should do it, do it some more because I, I really would like us to get to, you know, Maybe talk about business opportunities in this space, talking to small businesses, what, what other guys should look out for in this space. Because I think the guys don't know what, what else what is would, out there. What I would offer you and your listeners, perhaps, is um, we've got a number of exciting projects that we're working on yeah. um, in this space. I think if you give me the next two months, yeah, um, we're just locking down a couple of agreements and making sure that we've got everything in place. I think once we've done that, I would love to come back and just share with them the, We'd the stuff love that, we, to have you we, for that. We, we're doing. And yeah. that will be really tangible stuff. We want to get yeah. to that stuff because, yeah, you know, absolutely. ultimately people absolutely. who listen to this show are also, they run their own small businesses like Lassie. They want I, I, know, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. And uh, yeah, I know, and as a former taxi driver, you would understand And tell, this. tell Lassie <laughs> that I'm also looking for a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> could people contact you though? I mean, is there an email they could write if they wanted to ask questions and stuff like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I think yeah. um, my work email is jerryatabit.co.za. As simple as that. Yeah, and we're going to put that on our Facebook uh, page, jerryatabit.co.za. We don't want to give any other contact detail. Uh, we'll but we, that we shall speak to you hopefully in the next two to three months. Indeed. It's not 12 months, Jerry. Two to three months. <laughs> <laughs> thank Mr. you very much. Thank Wonderful you so much. seeing you and an all, all the best. So it's so great. Much. We truly appreciate it. When we come back, 30 seconds for you to advertise your business for free.